Good morning, Meadows. If you are a note taker, those little booklets are, can be extremely helpful. I have several of them at home and enjoy using them. Well, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come humbly before you. We've been coming humbly before you through song, through the reading of your word, and through prayer. So, Father, as we spend time in this text this morning, may you speak to us through your word. I pray that you would give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to receive. Father, may your spirit be working among us this morning. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We live in an interesting culture. Um, talk with most people, not just within the church, but even without, outside the church. Most people understand that there is evil in this world. And most people, whether you're within the church or not, understand that there may be some evil that lives with inside you, that you are not perfect. And there's a lot of gurus out there or people trying to write books or post on social media or make podcasts of how we can improve ourselves. I don't know about you, but I enjoy going to a bookstore or maybe for you, it's going through Amazon or Goodreads or Kindle. And maybe you just happen to glance over some self-help books and see, ooh, that looks interesting. Or, yeah, I really need help in developing this or that and the other thing. And we start reading and we start applying what the author or the podcaster wants us to do, and we start seeing some change in our life, but before too long, we just kind of revert back to our old self. A silly example of this is during the winter holidays, my wife and I had about a week off, and we read a book about being minimalists, and we said, hey, this looks great. Let's try to get rid of a bunch of stuff, and so we did, and our house and keeping care of our house became a lot easier until reality set back in and we had to get back to work and the craziness of life picked up and while we tried to live out this idea of being a minimalist, we did not really succeed. We reverted back to our own ways. And in our text this morning, we're going to see a parable that it's not simply just a cleansing of oneself that we have to go through. It's not just a simple reforming of oneself, but there's going to be more to this. Christ is going to speak more than it's not simply just being a good person or simply just getting rid of some sin in our life, but there's going to be more that needs to be done. In the passage this morning is Jesus going to share a parable with the main point is that we can, we either need Christ 
we're either for Christ or we're against Christ. And the passage this morning comes from Matthew chapter 12. And in Matthew chapter 12, we've been in this chapter, it's really one full day, one long day for Jesus and his disciples. We started this day about six weeks ago at the beginning of Matthew 12 with a controversy over working on the Sabbath. The Pharisees accused Jesus' disciples that what they were doing of picking grains was unlawful. And Jesus has this interesting statement. He says in verse 6 of Matthew 12, I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. Jesus saying that he is greater than the priesthood and the sacrificial statement or sacrificial system. This is a pretty big claim, but Jesus won't stop him just this one claim. So the conversation continues. They bring a man with a shriveled hand to heal and on the Sabbath and what does Jesus do? He heals him. Furthermore, he heals many more people. In verse 15, Jesus was aware of this, and he withdrew. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them all. And this was to fulfill the prophet of Isaiah, that he is the servant whom God has chosen, my beloved, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to all the nations. Matthew, in His writings is making a case that Jesus is the Messiah, that He is greater than the temple. This continues on. The Pharisees continue to accuse Jesus of being under the rule and receiving His power from Beelzebul, the ruler of demons, to which Jesus responded that's very illogical and gives a very clear reasoning why. Then He goes into a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A tree is known by its fruit. And then last week, we'll pick up kind of in the middle of this conversation, but last week, the Pharisees again asked Jesus, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you, as if everything he's already done is not enough. And he states these two incredible statements. First, in verse 41. He says, at the end of verse 41, something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than the temple is here. Something greater than Jonah is here, meaning that he is greater than the prophets. And then at the end of verse 42, he says this once again, something greater than Solomon is here. He is greater than the priests. He is greater than the prophets. He is greater than the kings. He is the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. And I believe the text, what Matthew is getting at, and we will explore this more in verses 43 and 45, is you are either for Christ or you're against Christ because it stems from what he already said in verse 30. He said these words, anyone who is not with me is against me, and anyone who does not gather with me, scatters. And we'll see that even when we think that we thwart Satan or we get rid of the evil in our life, if we don't receive Christ, we are still against Him. 
And so this morning, we'll unpack Matthew 12, 43 through 45. We're going to understand what, the, what is Jesus say, is saying here. Get an idea of the, what's happening in this parable. Then from there, we're going to look at the context within what Jesus is speaking to, who Jesus is speaking to. Then we'll conclude with the application for us this morning. So if you haven't already, would you please join me in Matthew 12, 43 through 45. If you don't have a Bible with you, we'll be on page 1039. And this morning I'll be using the Christian Standard Bible. We'll be in Matthew 12, 43 and 45. So let us just walk through these three passages, making some comments and unpacking what is Jesus saying here. So starting in Matthew 12, verse 43. When an unclean spirit comes out of a person, it roams through waterless places looking for rest, but does not find any. Jesus doesn't give a reasoning why the spirit left. Maybe the man realized that what he's doing is wrong and needs to repent or change his ways. Maybe someone cast out the demon. We don't really know why. But what we do know is that for whatever reason, the spirit, this unclean spirit, leaves. And he leaves and he goes to waterless places, desolate places, places of despair. And he tries to find rest, which he cannot. In his own corrupt way, the unclean spirit was seeking rest, some place of greater satisfaction. And maybe the spirit was restless because it could not express its evil nature as it was able to do in its previous home. So the spirit is wandering around, not finding rest. And so in verse 44, we have this little monologue from this unclean spirit. It says, I'll go back to my house that I came from. Notice the pronoun there. It doesn't say, I'll go back to the man. Or I, didn't, I won't go back to the man's house. No, I'll go back to my house. And so even though the unclean spirit has left, he's still claiming possession over the man, the, over his house. And when you have possession over something, when you own a house, you get to do what you want with it. For my house, I could paint the walls however I want to paint them. I can rearrange the furniture how I want. I can knock down walls if I want. I can add to the house. I can do what I want to my house. Now, if I go to your house and I start knocking down walls or painting walls or rearranging or even inviting my friends over, that's not going to go over too well. Why? Because you occupy your house. You would probably kick me out, and rightly so. But there we see in verse 44, when this unclean spirit comes back to his house, it's left vacant. There's no one living there. He still has claim to this house. And in fact, he returns, he finds it vacant, swept, and put in order. This man made a nice cozy home for this unclean spirit. We see the idea of cleaning and putting things in order shows 
that there was a genuine desire in this man to change. That when the spirit left him, the man's physical and intellectual condition had improved. He is healthier in mind and sounder. Or I'm sorry, he's healthier in body and sounder in mind. There was a desire for some sort of change to take place. So to, but what happens is the spirit comes back, and he sees everything's put in order. He sees his house is a nice house to start living in, and so he does what he wants, and what does he do? He invites seven of his friends with him. In verse 45, then he goes and brings with him seven other spirits, more evil than itself. And they enter and settle down there. As a result, that person's last condition is worse than the first. That's how it will be also with this evil generation. So, To summarize, this unclean spirit leaves a man, go find rest somewhere else, cannot find rest, so comes back, sees that still vacant, he comes and occupies the house once again, this man once again, and not just himself, but he brings with him seven of his friends. And what Jesus is claiming, that the state of this man now is worse off than it was before. What is the main point of this parable? What is Jesus emphasizing here? That anyone who is not with me is against me, and whoever, anyone who does not gather with me scatters. It is out of this declaration that one of the most solemn statements of the whole Bible that this, par- this parable stems from. It illustrates a very vivid way the impossibility of deserting Satan without joining Christ. The impossibility of keeping distant from Christ without falling into the power of Satan. So this is what Jesus is communicating. Now let's step back a little bit. What is the context in which Jesus is speaking to? Well, we see that Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, to these religious rulers, to these who are very moral, upright who uphold the law. How do we know this? Well, in verse 38, he starts off the question that the scribes and the Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign. So there's conversation here. This is a continuation of that conversation. But notice what Jesus starts off with in verse 39. He replies to them, An evil and adulterous generation demands a sign. Now jump down to verse 45. How does he conclude that how it will also be with this evil generation? He opens up with this idea that there is, this is an evil and adulterous generation, and he also concludes the same way. How can they be so evil and adulterous when the Pharisees are trying to uphold the law? They're trying to keep the law. They're trying their best, to be morally good, to be righteous. How can they be evil? Let's unpack this a little more. See, for this man in the parable, when the Spirit leaves, he starts seeing change in his life. He starts seeing that those temptations that used to tempt him, he's able to conquer Maybe he's thinking, I'm strong enough. I'm good enough. 
I'm able to defeat sin on my own. And this is the idea of the Pharisees. The Pharisees think that they are strong. The Pharisees exalt themselves. The Pharisees don't think twice about the means of grace. The Pharisees display their own power. The Pharisees are morally good, upright people who believe that they are strong and able to save themselves only to find that they, are, they themselves are condemned to judgment in hell. But there's another character in Scripture that I want us to look at real quick who exemplifies the opposite of these Pharisees. And that is the Apostle Paul. If you would, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 6, we get a very completely different picture than those of the Pharisees. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul starts this in verse 6, For I want to boast, I wouldn't be a fool, because I would be telling the truth, but I will spare you so that no one can credit, with, credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me, especially because of the extraordinary revelations. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in my flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I plead with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weakness, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I will take pleasure in weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The Pharisees think that they are strong. Paul knows that he is weak. The Pharisees exalt himself. Paul humbles himself. The Pharisees depend upon themselves to be their Savior. Paul only depends on God to be his Savior. The Pharisees don't think twice about grace. Paul knows God's grace is sufficient in his weakness. The Pharisees try to display their power Paul displays God's power through him. The Pharisees are morally good people thinking that they can save themselves but are condemned to hell while Paul knows that he is the chief of sinners, weak and only hopes in Christ to save. See, when the Spirit leaves and the Pharisees or Maybe us today, we think that we can conquer sin on our own when we think we have defeated sin on our own and we received victory and freedom. That unclean spirit brings back his friends and his friends are more evil. They're also more crafty. And many times we don't even know that they are in and living and residing within us. For they bring sin of pride. They bring of sin of idolatry. They bring of sin of self-absorbance. They trick us, they fool us, thinking that we ultimately can save ourselves and we don't need a Savior. 
If that's the case, we are in a worse state than we were before. So what does this look like for us this, today? What, this, what does this may look like? Well, maybe for some of you, you've come to that crossroads before. For whatever reason, God has put situations in your life that caused you to wrestle with your sin nature. Maybe you've realized that you have an addiction to drinking or smoking or gambling or lying or pornography. Maybe you've realized that deep down you're really an angry, selfish person. Whatever your unclean spirit, you may have had to come and wrestle with that. And maybe that was brought out because of a loved one. Maybe you're entering into marriage or you realize your marriage may be falling apart and partly it's because of these previous actions that you love your spouse and so you want to strengthen your relationship and marriage and so you're trying to work on yourself, get rid of this evil within you. Maybe it's you're bringing a child into this world or you're raising a child and you realize that you don't want your child to be like you and so you're trying to better yourself. Maybe it's a friend that comes along and is pleading with you to change your ways. These are all grace of God that he reveals us, these things to us. Maybe it's more negative. Maybe you've come to this crossroads because you realize you're in financial debt and financial ruin that you can't get out of because of these past sins. Maybe you've received word from a doctor and news that you weren't expecting. You start to reflect on your life and a desire comes about you to change. We don't know why the Spirit leaves, but at times it does. And there's times where Satan leaves us alone for a time, and maybe during that time we start to see change. We start to see victory in some areas. We start to feel more confident about ourselves. We see relationships deepen. And we see that ultimately we're becoming a better person. But during these times, we... When we cease to commit those sins, we may fancy that we have conquered them. The truth being that we've actually had no temptation to sin or perhaps no opportunity to sin. And we start imagining that we have learned to withstand temptation. And when all of this has happened, is the temptation has just withdrawn from us for a time. And so we start to let down our guard. We start to organize and vacuum and sweep and put everything in order. We may go to and read some self-help books. We may start to listen to Mr. Worldly Wise Men. We may start to become confident in ourselves, thinking that we are strong, that we can conquer sin. We start to exalt ourselves. We start thinking that we don't need a Savior because I have set myself free from sin. We start boasting in our strength, and in reality, we may become really morally good people. But without Christ, we are still condemned to hell. We start taking on the mindset 
of these scribes and Pharisees. And while before we dealt with an unclean spirit, after we clean shop and it leaves our house vacant and it comes back, it brings its friends. And that first unclean spirit is our least of our concerns. For it comes back with pride. It comes back with self-glorification, idolatry, self-deception, and many others. Why does this happen? Because the house is vacant. No one else lives there. There's no one else to kick out these unclean spirits. In fact, we see throughout Scripture, many people come to Christ to be healed. We see people approaching Christ, even just within the chapter of Matthew 12, we see a man who was blind, mute, and demon-possessed, and who was healed. We see many people who were healed. But how many of them came and followed Christ, believed in Christ to be the Messiah? In Luke 17, ten leopards come to Christ to be healed. How many of them returned? Only one. We see the beginning of Acts. How many are waiting? Only 120. There's many people that have maybe even encountered Jesus or have experienced Jesus' love or maybe healings or things from Jesus as we see in Scripture, but how many of them are following after Christ? But most of them are just leaving their house vacant. And when we do, it allows these unclean spirits and his friends to come inhabit within us. The man in the parable may shake off Satan's yoke. We may shake off Satan's yoke, but he does not accept Christ's yoke. He would abhorred the unclean spirit, but he does not welcome the Holy Spirit. He has made a comfy, cozy house ready for the Holy Spirit, but does not receive the Holy Spirit. And only allows the unclean spirits to come back. And thus, he falls more hopelessly than before into the power of the evil one. In verse 45, we have this word that says settle down. This word, I mean, maybe live in, resides in, dwells in. The same word is used in Ephesians 3.17, a passage we read earlier in the service. In Ephesians 3.17, it says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You see, where Christ does not live, demons are free to live. Unless we place ourselves constantly under divine protection, unless we habitually keep our bodies as temples of the Holy Spirit, only then demons cannot come and go as they please the Holy Spirit is there who is more powerful than any unclean spirit and is ready to kick them out. By God's grace, we may be put in different situations or have conversations with people that force us to deal with the reality of our sin, whether it's because of our wife or our children or of severe illness or any other situation that may drive out the unclean spirits, 
And that may be going on for months or years, but all of these forces are powerless, all these situations are powerless to protect us from the unclean spirit unless we find a renewed life in Christ Jesus. There is no self-help book that will save you. There is no spouse or friend or child that will save you. You yourself cannot save you. Only Christ, through His Holy Spirit, can save. And it's only through Christ, it's only when Christ, through His Holy Spirit, is made welcome tenant, a welcome tenant that is able to save. When we receive the Spirit, we receive His freedom. For we cannot escape Satan's tyranny by simply shaking him off. It is only done through our union with Christ and the work of Jesus on the cross. So maybe you're here this morning. You're sitting here and you've been wrestling, you've been confronted with the sin of your reality or your past. You've realized that things have to change. May we not just become empty, vacant housing. But may we be filled with the Holy Spirit. May we plead to God to fill us with the Spirit. May we turn to God, who is the only one who is able to save. May we turn to God and lay our sins at the cross and be cleansed by the blood of Christ. May we turn to God and repent of our sins and be filled with the Holy Spirit who will sanctify us. May we turn to God today and leave the yoke of Satan behind and put on the yoke of Christ, which is easy and light. If you've been a part of a men's D group, we memorize many verses, but one of those verses that we memorize is Galatians 5.1. For freedom, Christ sets us free. If you are in Christ and the Spirit, Holy Spirit dwells within you, Know the freedom that we live in. It's not our freedom, but it's Christ's freedom. When we live in this freedom, take on the mindset that of Paul, one of weakness, one of humility, one of full dependence upon God, one who realizes full, or one who knows that his grace is sufficient, one who does not boast in his power but displays God's power. One who only hopes in Christ to be saved and not ourselves. So once again, I plead with you this morning. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Let me enter into a time of prayer and then we will go into a time of communion. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, we thank you that we don't have to just stay vacant housing. We thank you that you have promised your Holy Spirit and you've given us your Holy Spirit who dwells within us, who's able to kick out these unwanted, unclean spirits. So, Father, help us to understand what it means to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. To have a union with Christ, our Savior. And, Father, may we not find salvation in ourselves. May we not find salvation in 
our friends, our spouses, our children, or any self-help books or other gurus out there, may we find salvation only through Christ. Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I know many of you, there's many testimonies that could be shared from many of you of how God has gotten a hold of your life. How you look back at who you once were and God did a miracle within your life and has given you the Spirit ultimately to defeat and get rid of temptations in our lives. I know many of you this morning and rejoice that are filled with the Spirit, who have received the Holy Spirit and are living that out. This morning we're going to come and we are reminded 